Our sponsor today, Manscaped, has you covered to keep the hair looking nice and trimmed and feeling fully supported. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. The Premium Lawnmower 3.0 is waterproof, includes an LED light, and is made with advanced skin-safe technology, which reduces nicks and cuts on your delicates. Plus, for a limited time, when you order the Perfect Package Kit, you get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag and the Manscaped Anti-Chafing Boxer Briefs. The Manscaped Anti-Chafing Cooling Boxer Briefs might be one of the best parts of this package. The waistband is super elastic to reduce chafing and rubbing. And if you pair these boxer briefs with their pH balancing liquid products like the Crop Preserver, you're ready for anything. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC20. From the moose to the caboose, always use the right tools for the job. Hey everybody, Scott Burnside back for another edition of Two Man Advantage, the Labor Day edition. So it's hard to it's hard to really get your head around, isn't it? Right? It's Labor Day. Should be thinking about maybe training camp, maybe some rookie camps. Uh, the NHL used to do its player tour right after Labor Day, but no, we are talking conference finals. And then there were four. When we did our last show, of course, on Friday, we were still trying to figure out who's who would survive. Who were the four teams that would congregate in Edmonton for the conference final? And now. Arpon Basu joins us from Edmonton to unpack all that has happened over the weekend. And Arpon, I got to tell you, I get really, I get so excited when I know that you and I are going to chat on the podcast. I don't get to see you as often as I would like, but this is always, it's the next best thing. I always get pretty jazzed when I, when I know that you and I are going to uh, <laughs> share some time. It's true. I'm not, I'm not making that up. Why would I make that up? Well, me too, Scotty. I love I love talking to you, even when it's not recorded. Actually, especially when it's not recorded, because our, <laughs> our, our conversations can be a little bit more colorful. But still, <laughs> I enjoy your time, and I enjoy talking hockey with you, as we always do, even... Even when we're sitting around having having some beverages, the the conversation invariably congregates to the type of conversation we're going to have today about about what's going on here in Edmonton and the Final Four and and the Conference Finals. And, and when you mentioned Labor Day, I was like, it is Labor Day, and you know, <laughs> we are usually thinking of the player tour or rookie camps, but you know, I think most normal people on Labor Day think you know barbecue or like just hang out a little bit, <laughs> and 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 us yeah. types. You know, we think about we think about hockey. So here we are, conference finals, and nothing better right now. Well, and I was excited to to get your uh, your perceptions because, and I think you you tweeted this as you were heading into Edmonton. I mean, when was the last night? So you were at Game One, Vegas, Dallas last night, um, and then of course you will be at Game One, Islanders, Tampa this evening. But when, mm-hmm. when was the last time you were actually at an NHL game? Prior to last night, when was the last time you were at a game? It was, let's see, the NHL shut down on March 12th, correct? So I guess it would have been March 10th. Right. I want to say it would have been Nashville was in Montreal. And um, 
the Canadians laid a total dud that <laughs> night, and and Nashville took it to them. But yeah, that was the last time. And you know, it, you know, there was someone um, in the Nashville front office who who I'm who I'm friendly with who who saw me, and 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 actually we kind of jokingly at the time uh, tapped elbows. You know, because we still weren't quite clear as to what was going on in the world. And like, you know, COVID wasn't really, it didn't seem like a real threat at the time. And so, you know, and we laughed about it. We're like, oh, can't shake hands. Ha ha. And, you know, we think back now, I think back to that now and I find it's comical because, you know, it's a good thing we did that because who knows, who knows what would have happened if we'd shaken hands, Scotty. God forbid. (laughs) Well, it's true. Well, so I, I and you must have then, you know, having watched as as we all have, you know, since August first when the games returned, uh, even before that, I guess a few days with the uh, exhibition games, you must have imagined what it would be like to walk back into uh, an arena, and then when you knew you were going to Edmonton to do the conference final and the final, you must have imagined what it was going to be like. And I wonder what it was. Was it different than you expected? Was the atmosphere? I remember talking to Thomas Drance, who like has been there like for a, a thousand games, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, holy I feel, cow. He, Jesus. He's, the guy he is, is grinding it. He's a yeah. machine. <laughs> well, okay, it's it, funny. Well, it's funny you mentioned that, right? Like, let me just pick because yeah, um, Thomas has been to I don't know, like fifty games at this point, <laughs> and so when I was reacting to everything, like, oh, this is awesome, you know, like it, it's you know, it, it's. The, I had to get and and I'm going to sound like a total spoiled brat here but like you know when I had to cover the Canadians playoffs I was doing it off television yeah I found it really difficult I found it really really hard to pick up on the rhythm of the game like I can I can watch a game on TV and enjoy it thoroughly but covering a game off television I found very very tough yeah and it took me a while to sort of get used to it but eventually I did and and I started to be able to you know take my notes and spot things that are sort of you know maybe still away from the puck but still on the screen um and and I got into a little bit of a rhythm that way so when I when I when I watched the game last night and and let's be let's be honest that was not uh you know it's kind of a clinical sort of suffocation by the stars you know i mean they really yeah they really did it wasn't the most entertaining brand of hockey but um i was riveted by it i mean it was i i i i appreciated it like i've never appreciated a one nothing <laughs> chokehold of a game you know i thought it was fantastic and every little dump in and every little chip it in, get a deep four check. I was like, oh, this is hockey. This is amazing. <laughs> and so, yeah, I was uh, I was loving the action. But really, it's the it's the it's the other it's the environment of the obviously the rink that is weird. You know, the rink is empty and, and you have to get your head around that. And, and the piped in crowd noise. And, and what I found most interesting is like when they decide to put the crowd noise on like there and there are different there are different sounds like there's like an ooh kind of crowd noise when there's a big save or then and there and it's sort of it sounds like i don't know i mean i know how it sounds on television it doesn't sound quite the same in the building it really feels like you're watching a playoff game like on the beach and there's just like waves crashing in every now and then it's just (laughs) 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 <laughs> and so, anyhow, 
So if you, I, you know, one day maybe the the NHL would decide to play an outdoor game uh, next to the ocean, and I feel it'll sound a lot like uh, what I heard last night. <laughs> well, I'm so excited for you to be there, and and I do. And it's weird, like when you get used, to, like I don't know how many games, like I've watched, I haven't watched every single game, but pretty darn close, right? Pretty I'm darn sure, close. I think to every... I'm sure you've watched every <clears throat> single game, Scott. Don't, come on. <laughs> Be honest. <laughs> hey, sometimes I have I have to have a nap at those late games, right? <laughs> but I'm watching. Hey, you know, it's it, and I will say there's a there are lots of times when I I'm oblivious to the fact that there are no fans, and it's uh, you know, and having spent a year in Dallas when the Dallas Gold song comes on, and uh, I mm. watch it with my family almost every night, and we're like, hey, there's you know, there's uh, we know that song, and it's right. <laughs> uh, you, you you do when you're not it, when you, it's just become part of our sort of you know the, the the watching, and I'm not covering it in the way that where I cover a team, you're you know you're you know, you're watching it because you're going to have to discuss it and because it's what you do. But, um, yeah, it, it must be. I'm, I'm glad that you're there, and I'm I'm excited to see how things unfold for you. And I want to – so we're going to talk to Mike McKenna about that Vegas-Dallas game, and we're going to unpack that. But I'm really curious what you think because you know the Eastern Conference so well and, you know, we, you know the Habs going through what they did and playing Philadelphia and then Philadelphia losing to the Islanders. I, I'm really – I got to tell you, I'm – pretty jazzed for this Tampa Islanders series. And I think it's going to be way more compelling than people think. And who cares what I think in what I picked, but I think the Islanders might win this series. I just think they might have the, the complete mojo to move forward. And I wonder what your overall impression is like when you, what are you looking forward to tonight when you walk back into Rogers arena in Edmonton for game one of the East final? I'm, I'm curious to see, what what version of the Islanders we see and, and and whether they feel they can play the same way they did against Philly, um, if that same style of game will work against Tampa. Because what I came away with last night in that Dallas-Vegas game is just the Jekyll and Hyde nature of Dallas, where, where Dallas reverted back to what everyone saw in the regular season. And the whole narrative around Dallas during that Colorado series, like, look at this high-octane offense. Who knew that they had this in them? And and it just felt like Dallas adapted their game to Colorado's game to a certain extent and, and maybe, maybe got caught in a game that they didn't necessarily want to play but still managed to win that way. And think of how, how much that builds your confidence in the sense where you're not playing – the type of game you're necessarily been playing all season, but still have success with it. Well, last night we saw Dallas go back to their real identity, let's say from the regular season. So the Islanders, you know, I think similarly in these playoffs has been, has been one of the top scoring teams in the playoffs, somewhat surprisingly like Dallas and the Islanders being among the best scoring teams was weird. And so, you know, maybe, and, and, and in a similar fashion, you know, I mean, honestly, like the Islanders, much like Dallas did last night, you know, they come at you in waves, four lines deep. And this is like, this is something I'm going to be writing about just because this is part, this has become part of the NHL vernacular in a way that it, it really never has before to the, not to the same extent, to the extent where Dallas, you know, splits their, their top three forwards onto three different lines. Now, uh, the Islanders are the epitome to me of of the four line attack and the four line wave 
of forechecking pressure, high pressure hockey uh, that comes at you. And this and this notion that the Islanders are like a trapping team or a defensive team is is false. Uh, they they'll forecheck you into the ground. I mean, they they go they have they send two guys in deep on the forecheck as a matter of course, and and the third guy is right there. And so, I'm curious to see what if the Islanders are going to be able to maintain that against you know obviously a pretty good defense group on on Tampa, and and whether. And whether the Lightning are going to be able to get away from that pressure, because once you once you're able to beat that initial wave of pressure, generally speaking, you should have numbers going the other way. So that's my main thing to watch is is whether the Islanders are going to feel as comfortable pressuring Tampa as they did pressuring uh, the Flyers and uh, and the Caps before that. Yeah, and I, I I'm right with you. I, like I, this whole notion of, you know, the the only way the Islanders can win is if they grind it out and and lock you down in the neutral zone, all that kind of stuff. To me, what's in you know they and what they've done all playoffs, they have three lines with high end talent. You know, JG Pajot on that third line now, mm-hmm. and they yeah. can hurt you on the power play and playoff those Pajot, man. Oh yeah, he's, no, playoff Pajot. He is so consistent in the playoffs, man. He is he is my man in the playoffs. I love that guy. Yeah, well, and sort of, you know, he's uh, he's probably uh, uh, maybe it's not fair to compare them, but I think of a guy like Blake Coleman, you know, that Tampa acquired at the deadline mm-hmm. from New Jersey, multi-skilled guy, got a little sand to him. I love, you know, Pajo. I don't care how big whoever it was with the, the Flyers, he was in everyone's face, and it was, and he's he can he can kill penalties, he can score, he can you know play on the second power play unit. It's just I just think this Islander team has sort of quietly become dangerous. Now the the question for me, and I guess we'll start to see this tonight. I'm not you know they're Tampa's a handful because they we know about their skill, we know that um, or the expectation is Kucherov will play. Um, they're rested. That back end is you know it's been it's fun to watch with Victor Hedman leading the charge and. Kevin Shattenkirk has been really very solid there. So I'm not, you know, it, on paper, it looks like an uphill climb for the Islanders, but I just I, I, I just think it's going to be way, way closer than people think. And I think the Islanders might pull this off. But um, I want to ask you quickly, um, no Steven Stamkos, no real surprise uh, for the rest of this series. Um, does that, you know, what's, what's your, do you, does it matter at this stage? Because I don't think the expectation was that Steven Samkos was was going to play anyway. You know what I find fascinating? So 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 you know, John Cooper says not only is Steven Samkos not playing game one, he's not playing the whole series. How, at what point did it become a thing where where losing Steven Stamkos for the whole series was not like massive news? <laughs> like no kidding. Yes, Steven yeah. Stamkos has become almost an afterthought like I don't want to I think that's a little too strong but he is he is not he's not even close to being the most important player on the lightning anymore to my in my eyes like he is maybe the fourth or fifth most important player on that team and that's astonishing like that's crazy to me to even say that just because of who we're talking about we're talking about you know Steven Stamkos was a legitimate superstar player uh when like Two years ago, I mean, it's really. I find it crazy that that this 
that this news, yes, it was expected, I guess, that he wouldn't play game one. I didn't, I wasn't expecting him to be out for the series. That was surprising to me, especially since, you know, our Joe Smith reported, what, a few days ago that Julian Breesbaugh told him that, that Stamkos is not done for the playoffs. He has not been ruled out to return. To return. So to hear John say that, I found pretty surprising. And I also find it, and it just, that's what made it dawn on me that, Really, Steven Stamkos is is not that big of a factor for this team anymore. And that's, it's shocking to me, really, it's how quickly that happened. And it kind of happened out of nowhere. Yeah, no, I, and I think that's very true. And I think it's, you know, a credit to Julian Brisebois to, you know, and how this team is built in that it is, this is, you know, listen, it's not a shot at Steven Stamkos in the least, but this team really has moved on from him in some ways. Yeah. And, you know, that's the, you know, it's the dynamics of the pause and coming back and, you know, it just, it is what it is. And uh, credit to uh, Julian Brisebois, who's built a team that you're right, you and I sort of as, this is our final thought on your segment is, Oh, by the way, Steven Stamkos won't play yeah, in this series. Exactly. So this is not the biggest. This is this was not coming out of the gate of this conversation. Like, how will Tampa deal with the the, the absence of Steven Stamkos? Because they've been doing it, and frankly, Steven Stamkos is 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 gravy right now for Tampa. They don't need him. My friend, you are always gravy when you and I chat, and it won't be the last time that we chat now that you're in Edmonton, and I will be imposing on you to get up early again, but uh, you should always read Arpon's NHL and Habs coverage at The Athletic NHL and Athletic Montreal, and give him a follow at Arpon Basu, and when we come back after this brief break, we will be talking to Mike McKenna, the legend, the man, Well, there's nothing more to say. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Now is the time to celebrate. Football is finally back, and DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports, has millions of reasons why you should be excited. To kick off the football season, DraftKings is giving new users a free shot at a $1 million top prize, with a total of $3 million up for grabs for this Thursday's football contest. Getting in on Thursday night's single-game showdown is easy. All you have to do is download DraftKings using promo code MAYS, M-A-Y-S. Draft six players from the season opener. Stay under the salary cap and see how your team stacks up against the competition. So, head to the app now to start making it rain. Plus, new users who sign up today on DraftKings using code MAYS will receive a free shot at the $1 million top prize with your first deposit. Nothing adds to the sweat of watching the game like having a shot at a million-dollar payday. So download DraftKings app now and use code MAZE. For a limited time, new users can get a free shot at the $1 million top prize and $3 million in total prizes. Don't miss this extra special Week 1 bonus. Enter code MAZE to get a free shot at the $1 million top prize with your first deposit. That's code MAZE, M-A-Y-S, only at DraftKings. Make it rain. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. All right, Mike, I want to know how many times in the last, let's call it six months, have you been called a legend while it's still... It's not even light where you are. I, I don't even know if you have, have you had a coffee yet in, in Vegas. I know you've been up early doing Zoom calls, but 
that I think that's pretty good, right? To be called legendary at six twenty one a.m. local. Well, you got my attention. That's for sure. Uh, I'm two cup. I'm two coffees deep at this point. Uh, legend is usually associated with me in a derogatory way. Uh, <laughs> like there's Canucks fans out there that will call me a legend for the two games that I backed <laughs> up, and so I, I'm used to it as a joking, um, in a joking way, <laughs> rather than reality. Um, but I'll take it any way you can get it. Listen, Mike. It, when I say legend, that's it's all real for me. And before we we get into the Western Conference Final, I, I, you you mentioned Vancouver Canucks. Uh, you and I traded some emails and some texts when there were when there were eight teams left last week. How how many of those eight teams had at some point provided some sort of payment to you? Because <laughs> I think I think it was a fair number of the of the final eight. Yeah, it was a lot. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure of the final eight, but I remember uh, maybe a couple days ago, I, I looked at my computer screen and it dawned on me that there's five teams left and four of those clubs I've received a paycheck from dating back no further than 2017. So I, I just I just laughed because it was such a microcosm of my career and, and where it's been. And, and I mean, really how lucky I've been too. You know, I can look yeah, at these series and have a little bit of inside knowledge into the players, the locker room, the coaches, and that's nice, but it's also kind of a funny footnote. Yeah, but, well, let me, I think that's a good way to start, maybe, because I think people might imagine, yeah, you know, if you were in Vancouver, it would probably be the same as Philadelphia, maybe it was the same as Dallas, but my sense is, and having, you know, hung around locker rooms for a long time, and, and, you know, of course, our paths first really crossed the year I was in Dallas. And when you do spend a lot of time with one team in their day-to-day comings and goings, I, I really do think that each team has its own personality, right? They have their own rhythm. They have their own way of doing things. And, and one is not necessarily a cookie-cutter carbon copy of the next. Is, is I mean, is that fair to say? Completely fair. And, and we talk about so often identity on the ice. There's an identity off the ice, too. Like every team's dynamic is so different in terms of whether it's leadership or what the guys do to have fun, what makes them tick, what where they are in life. You know, some teams are older than others. Some teams you walk into the wives' room and there's kids everywhere. And then some teams you show up and it's empty. You know, there's just so many different dynamics to what makes a team successful. And there's no rubric for it. There's no one way to do so. Um, and then that's really the challenge that, coaching staffs face a lot of times is getting the most out of their players, the most out of their room with the different personalities, with all the different extraneous factors. Uh, and, and, you know, for me to go from locker room to locker room, I really got to see that firsthand and really learn how to adapt in scenarios when it may not have been easier for a lot of people. Well, and I think, and then you and I have talked about this when you were, were kind enough to join us on, on this podcast earlier in the playoffs and, the dynamics are so different, and now you've got two teams who've picked up and left one bubble in Toronto, and so Tampa and the Islanders have now, they have a little, at least there's something to break that routine for them flying into Edmonton and getting settled into their new digs before game one tonight. Dallas and Vegas have been grinding it out in Edmonton now for, well, in advance of August 1st was the actual first game, so call it a week before that. And I wonder when you watch game one, of that Dallas 
Vegas Western Conference Final. And I, I don't know what your expectations were in terms of how the game won't unfold or the flow or the pace. But I think my sense is it was probably different than maybe people had expected. And I wondered what you saw last night now that we're down to the Final Four and t- you have two teams now uh, in a race to get to a Stanley Cup Final. And now we're at that thin end edge of the, the telescope. We're at the pointy end. I expected it to be a more spirited game between Vegas and Dallas, to be honest. It looked like the teams had been through a battle, been through a grind in their previous series, and and it looked to me like Dallas had more energy than Vegas. These are two teams that play a heavy game. They're in your face. I thought you'd see a lot of scrums after whistles. I thought you'd see Corey Perry without his helmet on at least twice. I can't remember him losing it at any moment. Um, you know, and, and that's not to say that the game wasn't emotional and teams weren't invested in it, but I, I think as this series moves on, and especially when Ryan Reeves comes back into the lineup for the Golden Knights, that'll make a big difference. I think it'll just ratchet up the intensity even more. Yeah, and it, you mentioned Ryan Reeves, who, of course, was suspended for one game for his hit on Tyler Mott in uh, Game 7 of that Vancouver-Vegas series, and that's there's no question. He's not just a physical presence, but he also is an emotional presence on that bench, in that locker room. You think, you know, when I, I part of my favorite parts of the reporting coming out of Edmonton has been that sort of ability to capture the chirping and, and Ryan Reeves is right in the middle of it. So it will be interesting to see, you know, what happens to the emotional element of that Vegas game. And I'm curious now because I, I love to turn on the TV because I'm not sure exactly what Pete DeBoer is going to do with his goaltenders. And, you know, there goes Marc-Andre Fleury. (laughs) He comes out to start game one of the Western Conference Final. Was tremendous, obviously. Uh, No fault of his as Vegas goes down 1-0 in the series after a 1-0 loss. What, what, What do you like about what Pete DeBoer is doing? Or what's your... What's your takeaway from how Pete DeBoer is, you know, has gone about deploying the goaltending? Well, if you look at game one, it, starting Marc-Andre Fleury made no sense at all, but it made all the sense in the world. You know, like when you look at it right away, I still think that we're so ingrained in our minds to thinking that each team has a starting goalie and that's who they're going to play. And that's just not the case so far. You know, we have seen coaches willfully deploy goaltenders, both of them, based on who they think is going to give them the best chance to win, who they think is fresher, rather than based on riding a hot hand all the time. You know, they're not switching goalies out right now based on play a lot of times. It's it's more so based on a an idea that they know who's going to be able to give them the most juice. And, you know, again, digging deeper with it, had Robin Leonard played last night, it would have been four games six days you've got a fresh goalie and Marc-Andre Fleury and if the Golden Knights lose games quite truthfully right now I think the goaltending has very little to do with it it's a team game for them they're such a deep club with four lines and 6D that they have two really really good goaltenders that aren't as much of a factor I would say as like look at Vancouver what Thatcher Demko and Jacob Markstrom did they had to be absolutely on their game every single minute of those to give their team a chance now that's not to say that Robin Leonard and Marc-Andre Fleury don't have to be good they have to be just as much as anybody but it's it's just interesting to see how they roll it out and I think there's a a slight element of chaos there a controlled chaos in that I mean if I'm Dallas I was expecting Robin Leonard to play and I think that that wrinkle at times, there's a, there's a mental 
aspect to it where you're just looking for any way to throw your opponent off and you know putting your lines in a blender is one thing but by starting a goaltender you don't expect that's a pretty dramatic step well and i wonder if if we might see the same kind of dynamic with that islander tampa series uh, with game one tonight and we know of course that andre vasilevsky will start for tampa that's that's what they will be doing they'll do it every single night barring injury with all due respect to Curtis McElhaney, that's the way they will roll. But the Islanders with Simeon Varlamov and Thomas Grease, okay, a little bit different. And, and Grease, of course, starts Game 7, throws the shutout. But to your point, Mike, I'm wondering if... I don't think we can just naturally assume, oh, okay, this is now Thomas Grease's goal until something else happens, that Barry Trotz may well go back to Simeon Varlamov for Game 1. And maybe the same dynamic is at play that Tampa won't know, or they may expect one thing and get the other. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's a very real possibility. It's another scenario where you have two goaltenders that have played with a high level all season long. And, you know, Semyon Varlamov ended up being the incumbent in Long Island, but Thomas Grice played a lot of hockey this year, and he's played a lot of hockey in the National League, and he's been, to me, an underappreciated goalie for most of his career. He hasn't truly gotten the baton on a team that can really perform yet he's always put up pretty good numbers. Uh, He's only had one or two seasons that are somewhat outliers. And again, when you're looking for a bit of juice, when you haven't had it for a couple games and you feel confident in a person, why not put him in, you know? I do think that still Semyon Varlamov is probably looked at as having the highest ceiling of the Islander goaltenders. His, His ability to really steal a game might be looked upon as higher than Grice. But really, we're kind of splitting hairs here. You know, there's not the biggest delta like there used to be years ago with goaltenders. You know, it used to be that your starter was heads and shoulders better than your backup. Now we're at the point that I think starter and backup are kind of antiquated terms. You know, you can call them 1As or 1Bs, but to me, teams need goalie tandems across the league. Do you think we're going to see that reflected in the goalie market this summer? And we spent a lot of time, you know, even, you know, as this return to play has unfolded, looking at what might happen with the goalie market. And it's it's an unbelievable landscape, really, when you think about it. And in some ways, it's become um, more, I don't know whether crowded or just hard to get your arms around when you have a guy like Anton Hudobin, who's going to be a UFA. You know, he was tremendous, pitches a shutout, first ever NHL playoff shutout last night for Dallas. They're three wins away from going to a Stanley Cup final. And this is, you know, Ben Bishop, who knows, you know, whether he's ever going to be physically able to get back in in the rotation. So this is Anton Hudobin's show. And it's, you know, Jacob Markstrom is also going to be UFA. What does Vancouver now do after Thatcher Demko's play? you got Thomas Grease. Who, who knows? Maybe he's a guy, maybe he ends up winning the Stanley Cup in four or five weeks, and he's also going to be UFA. And I wonder, you know, do, how complicated it makes the goaltending landscape in, in terms of as teams try and figure out, well, what, sh- what should I do, understanding that you can't just have a guy that plays 70 games anymore. Well, about a month ago, I think you would look at this like you're getting in an elevator with two other people, and you're going up. And you get to the sixth floor and you gain people. And then the seventh floor, and there's more people. And the (laughs) goaltending market now, when you get to the top floor, when you get to the penthouse, is really, really full elevator. And I think it's just an awakening across the board at how good goaltending is. Really just when you talk about in generality, 
the game's been really optimized in the position and goalies are better than they've ever been. They've had outstanding coaching, training. And again, it comes down to the delta between a starter and backup. It gets hardly there anymore. So in some ways it's fantastic, but it also creates these kind of false controversies. And it's really not like if you believe in both your goaltenders, there's no problem playing them, but we can't get ourselves out of this old mindset that there's just one guy who's the hot goalie and he's got to play. It's, it's not applicable anymore. And what it's going to do to the goalie market's really interesting because I think GMs are incredibly gun shy to give somebody a big long-term deal, you know, for better or worse, even the price deal, the Bobrovsky deal, it, they kind of handcuff your team when you're tying up 10 million bucks to one position. So I think it's probably in some ways depressed the goalie market in terms of top end value on contracts and maybe even length of contract. But I do think you're going to see more goaltenders getting high value deals where you're in the three to five, three to six million dollar range. So, you know, the ship is rising for goalies in that regard. But I don't think you're going to see the pointy end contracts that you have seen previously. Yeah, good point. I think you're absolutely right with that. It's going to be, and of course, with a compressed off season, man, it's going to be it's going to be the wild west when oh, when, when we they get drop to that the flag point. on free agency, it's going to be mayhem. <laughs> All right, I'm going to let you go. I know you uh, you've got a big day ahead of you, but before I do, I, I want to look ahead to to game two of uh, Dallas Vegas. Um, to me, Vegas is one of those teams that so deep, so well coached, as you point out, terrific goaltending, no matter who's in there. To me, they're a team that will have a response. But I'm wondering what you're especially looking forward to in Game 2 in terms of a reaction from the Golden Knights, uh, in, in terms of you know to asserting themselves in this Western Conference Final. Well, there needs to be an emotional reaction, but they need to score some goals. They've only scored two goals in the last four games on a live human being. You know, they've had a couple of empty netters. Um, now, I mean, Thatcher Demko's might still be in their nightmares for all I know, but they've got to create more. Uh, and I would just expect this series to gain momentum in terms of the, the emotional aspect of it that was somewhat lacking in game one. This condensed schedule has made things really exciting, but also somewhat mundane early in series to me because teams are still catching their breath from the previous one. You don't have those two to three days to really dig in and take care of what you need to from a system standpoint, from a rest standpoint. And I'm just really interested to see the, the little changes between each team. You know, how does Vegas break out of their zone better? How do they recapture their power play and make that work? And, and on Dallas's side, do they continue to get pucks low to high and send it to the net from the defense? Do they consider to continue to have a four-man offensive rush that's giving them so much success? I love the cat and mouse of playoffs. And it's coaching, it's players, it's emotional, it's physical. Uh, I can't get enough of that. That's what I craved as a player. And to me, that's the most interesting part because the best teams in playoffs, they don't plateau. They continue to get better. They continue to find new ways. They get to a new level every single round, every game. And they have to manage it. They have to sustain it. Um, I think it's going to be fascinating with the series between Vegas and Dallas. I'm really looking forward to game two. Yeah, me too. And here's the problem. I, I, I don't think that legend really covered it. But uh, once again, Mike McKenna, outstanding work <laughs> in, in joining us at the crack of dawn from Vegas. You should always give Mike a, uh, a, a follow on Twitter at Mike McKenna 56 and continue your fine work in providing analysis for the Golden Knights. And uh, I can't guarantee that I won't be calling on you again early in the morning. But uh, Mike, thank you as always for your insight and your time. 
My pleasure. Anytime. It's beautiful to see the sunrise in Vegas. Thanks for getting me up. <laughs> anytime, my friend. Anytime. All right. I, I can't wait for. I can't wait for the day now. All right. Bring it on. Uh, if you do have some time in your hands, though, you should also check out. Craig Custance, who has a chat with the new GM of the Florida Panthers, Billy Zito, on Craig's fine podcast, The Full 60 at The Athletic. And uh, Jeremy Rutherford welcomes in former St. Louis goalie, St. Louis Blues goalie, Jake Allen, recently traded to the Montreal Canadiens uh, on We Went Blues this week on uh, The Athletic. And you should check out our comment section for each podcast episode at The Athletic app. And don't forget to rate and subscribe to Two Man Advantage on Apple and click on theathletic.com slash Two Man Advantage to get 40% off your subscription. And as always, we will be back tomorrow morning to recap the night's happenings and all the news in the NHL. So don't miss that. 